Hello there, my friends, and welcome to the fifth episode of Tangents Abound. My name is Aaron Henley, and I thank you all for joining me today. Well, I have some good news. I've had some downloads. I've had some people leave comments and feedback, positive and negative, and I appreciate all of it, and I appreciate all of my friends taking time to just send me some feedback. Also, I got an iTunes review. Yes, I got an iTunes review. It's from my friend Gene Hendricks, our regular emailer, and to be honest, only emailer, so, you know, if, if you want to drop me a line, I'm here. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to have to start playing the cricket sound effects. <laughs> so Gene writes, A great new voice. Aaron Henley is new to podcasting, but you wouldn't know that by listening to him. He is very engaging and obviously passionate about his subject matter. In this show, Aaron will tell you why he likes something, not why he doesn't. So it's got a great, positive message to it. I expect great things from this podcast. Well, thank you, Gene. I mean, that that means a lot to me. I appreciate it. I appreciate the emails you send. And I really thank you for just, you know, helping me and <laughs> listening to me for a half hour. <laughs> you can also find Gene, who has a bunch of shows, at the Hammer Strikes um, Network. And I hope I remembered that right. If not, I'm sorry, Gene. So, if you'd like to be like Gene and drop me an email, the email is tangentsabound at gmail.com, or you can leave a review on iTunes. And if you don't want to leave a review, that's fine. That's fine. But I do ask that maybe just stop by and give me a rating, because that also helps people find my show. And I'd like to have more than, you know, 10 people listen to the show on a regular basis. <laughs> so, because uh, I have to, you know, I have to bump up my goal. I went from 5 to 10, so if I can go past 10, I'm great. <laughs> okay, so I appreciate all my feedback from Gene and from my fellow friends. So now I'm going to go into the promo for the show. It's a great show I've actually never listened to. <laughs> However, the co-host I have listened to on many episodes of Views from the Long Box, he's the semi-regular co-host of that show, and his name is The Irredeemable Shag, and his show is The Fire and Water Podcast. So sit back and enjoy his promo. Truth and justice and sea on land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available at Fire and Water Podcast, Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? It's bad enough I have to put up with your shenanigans every... So, as we can see, Shag is a great guy, and I'd like to get to know Mr. Rob Kelly a little bit better, too. So i got to really check out their show, but to be honest, it's been a little hard to find the, you know, beginning episode. <laughs> Alrighty, so we're going to dig right into our issue for this episode. 
Superman, Lois and Clark, Issue 4, Arrival, Part 4. Well, let's take a look at the cover, which is probably a good place to start. <laughs> and the cover credits for this issue are Lee Weeks and Brad Anderson. And here we have another creepy cover, friends. This is great. We have Hank Henshaw looking like he just walked off the set of The Walking Dead or, you know, Blackest Night, and he's standing over the unconscious body of Clark. The twilight sky behind them is almost symbolic of Clark's fall and Blanks, who we remember from last issue, is controlling Hank, rise to power. The only really small nitpick I have is that Clark's S is hard to tell. It's an S at all. At all. The way he's positioned on the ground stretches it out so much that it almost looks like a solid pentagon of white and not the standard S shield. However, this is a great cover. It's creepy. I like it. Also, there was a coloring book variant cover for the issue, which is Clark and Lois, and in all honesty, it's a hundred times more in keeping with what we're going to talk about than the variant cover for issue one. And if DC releases a cover, coloring book for covers, I would definitely pick it up if it had this one in it. So, the credits for this issue are the usual ones. We have writer Dan Jurgens, pencilers Lee Weeks and Marco Santucci, Inkers, Sergio Carriero, and Scott Hanna. The letterer is a larger world studios, and I apologize for not including them in the previous episodes, mainly because when it was a big company like that, I didn't want to include it because I like giving credit to the person who did it and not the company, but then I felt, then I realized, no, I should give them their proper due. So I apologize to a larger world studios. The colorist is Jeremy Cox. The assistant editor is Andrew Marino, and editor is Eddie Berganza. We open our story a few years ago with Clark and Lois having an anniversary slash date night walking the streets of Metropolis with John under the care of the most of our most favorite adorable Irishman ever, Shell Montgomery, and his wife Christy. Paying a little visit to Harley, the best jazz sax player in the city, Clark and Lois enjoy their time together. That is until something catches Lois's eye, and Clark goes, You can't be serious, hun. And what is it? Well, it's a little Superman Shield t-shirt that's just the right size for four-year-old John. Oh, it's so cute. Clark is a little worried that John might suspect something, but Lois reassures him, Clark, he's four. This is the only Superman he knows. Grumbling about how he likes his shield is better. <laughs> is that a little shield envy there, Clark? <laughs> the parents buy the gift for John. They continue on the street, only to have to duck under an awning and hide their faces to keep from being spotted by Jimmy Olsen and his girlfriend, who I don't know anything about her, her name, anything, but she is quite attractive, so go Jimmy! I, <laughs> if Jimmy Olsen can get a girl, there's hope for me yet. <laughs> Also, we get a Bibbo reference! Oh, I'm so happy! I love Bibbo Babowski! And for those of you, my friends, who don't know who Bibbo Babowski is, he, he's the crusty sailor with a heart of gold and a cold mug of beer ready for you. Oh, if, I love Bibbo, so I'm going to rip off from Crisis to Crisis and go, Bibbo! Oh, I love Bibbo so much. <laughs> Returning to their hotel, 
Lois and Clark relax, and our lovely reporter has one more surprise for her husband. Well, maybe two, possibly three, but we only see one, and this is a family-friendly show, you know. <laughs> it's a little something to help Clark in his superheroing, and also help lower their clothing bill. And what is it? It's the black suit. That's right. So, how did she get it? Well, impersonating the New 52's Lois, she was able to get her hands on a discarded armor from a Star Labs U.S. military project. Added a few personal touches, and voila, we have the black suit. Back in black! In the sack! Do-do-do! Oh, anytime I can get... Anytime I can get ACDC into the show, I'm going to take it, friends. I'm just going to warn you that right now. Commenting that she always liked to see him in, in black. But wait a second. She wasn't there when he came out of the Kryptonian Warbot, and I don't think he ever wore black after that final fight with the cyborg Superman. So where did she see him in black? Oh. Well. <laughs> Friends, I'm happy this is an audio medium because I am blushing beet red right now. Clark, again being a slightly bit of a sourpuss, wonders if people might get a little suspect if they see another Superman. Lois again reassures him that there are times when Clark has to be true to who he is. And even if they are the only two who know, he will always be her Superman. And then we proceed to leave our couple to enjoy the rest of their anniversary night alone in each other's arms. Oh, this was a great opening to the story. I love how the first half of the issues are a little bit more backstory on Clark and Lois and John. So we've cut ahead about two years since the previous flashback where John was two, so now he's four. And it's it's really nice. It's just, I, I enjoy it so much. So this is actually Lois and Clark's first visit to Metropolis. They've paid attention to the news, of course, but they stayed out of the city because they didn't want to be recognized by any of the, you know, regular denizens that they know. And also, like any good tourist, they compare it to their hometown. So they find this metropolis a little less city of tomorrow and a little more grimy. And to be honest, there's n no more an apt description of the New 52 universe, in my opinion. Now, I don't know who Harley is, but I sure would love to find out more about him. He's a African-American blind man who recognizes Clark's voice right off the bat, and he's what I would call, you know, some, a jazz player who would, you know, if you go into a bar kind of on the rough side of town, and it looks a little rough on the edges, but when you go inside, you, you find all the people are really great. He would fit right in with that kind of crowd, and I really like Harley. And it's also nice to know that New 52 Clark Kent also enjoys a good Coltrane, so... I enjoy that, and it proves that two things are constant. Harley is the same and no matter what universe you're in, and Clark enjoys the same music no matter what universe he's in. So that's that's a nice little parallel between Clark and New 52 Superman. Oh, and then we get to the one-page splash of Lois holding up this tiny little S-Shield t-shirt. It's about the size of any kid's t-shirt you would see on a table at any clothing store, and... 
<laughs> it looks like something my mom would buy if she went on a trip <laughs> for me, and actually I know this because, well, she has. <laughs> oh, it's adorable. And again, Bibbo. Oh, I can't stop raving about Bibbo, friends. Uh, if you see him in the Superman animated series, you know, he's just a big guy. He's got his sailor cap on. He may look rough, but, you know, he's a great guy, and he'll give you the shirt off your back if you need it. And, ah, oh, he... I'm so happy he's back, because for the longest time, Bibbo was gone. And anytime Bibbo comes back, I'm happy. And it's a little weird of him having a club in the new 52 called Ace of Brews and Clark and Lois both go well that's kind of odd but no you accept it and while I'm happy for him it just doesn't have the same ring as Ace of Clubs and I'd, I'd love to go to the Ace of Clubs and I was so happy to see the Bibbo cameo in Young Justice when I finally got to see the entire series and oh yeah I, I <laughs> my cat ran when I screamed out Bibbo so that's how much I love Mr. Bibbo Babowski. Also, one thing I didn't mention in the synopsis, while Clark and Lois return to the hotel room and travel up the elevator, we find out that Clark had used their trip to check on Lex Luthor. He wasn't able to find anything, and Lois wonders if maybe there's a chance he's clean. Again, this is an alternate universe Lex Luthor. Clark simply replies, He's Lex Luthor. He's dirty. And I fully agree, Clark. I mean, it's not like he could change and decide to become a part of the Justice League or anything, right? <laughs> I mean, that that's crazy. Well, speaking of which, I actually do want to read that because I would love to see what made Lex Luthor change from being Lex Luthor to Lex Luthor superhero. Because I've read the DC Rebirth Action Comics first story arc where Clark meets up with Lex and Lex Luthor is still Lex Luthor he's an arrogant man <laughs> but, but he's actually caring about people so how does that happen how does Lex Luthor go from Lex Luthor to superhero wearing pretty much Steel's outfit complete with the S shield and actually care about innocent civilians this I have got to see I know this was a tangent abound, but, oh, I have to, I, I gotta read this. If I ever have enough money to get all these comics, I gotta read them. Also, we see Lois. She's willing to impersonate a general's daughter, steal a military prototype, and possibly get her doppelganger arrested for high treason just to save on her clothing bill. Yep, I do that too. I mean, friends, have you seen the prices for a pack of three t-shirts at Walmart? <laughs> I, I do the same thing. Also, the uh, shadowing S that I thought was so great, and also that little shadowing on the cover of issue two that made the S on Clark's belt, I thought was just, you know, a design of the shadows. But it turns out, no, that's an actual S and part of the regular costume design. So it's a great look for him, and I love that costume even more, knowing that that little black S on the belt is a regular feature. And also, now, I'm a single guy. I have no kids, but I have a lot of friends who are couples and have kids, and I can imagine how hard it was to, for them to just get a night away, and I can understand how difficult it was for Clark and Lois to get away. And I'm glad that they did. 
And also we got to know a little bit more about our most adorable Irishman ever, Shell and his wife Christy, and how, really, Clark and Lois consider him family. I mean, Lois says they're the closest thing John will ever have to grandparents. So it, it shows just how much not only Shell and Christy care for John, but how much John cares for them. And I really like that. I do. Okay, so let's head back to the future. And return to the present. We see Lois and John head into the city. Now, I think this may be San Francisco, but I've never been anywhere in California, so I apologize if I'm wrong, but I don't have, you know, the obvious comic book landmarks of, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge to let me know, so I apologize. And they're driving in the loner car we saw from last issue. John has been taking after his mom and has been trying to find out more information about the highway gang that came after them and how there has been absolutely no news whatsoever about them. And that is pretty strange in the age of instant global communication, isn't it, friends? Well, Lois tells John that it must be the police trying to avoid to frighten people, but John thinks that the police would want to warn people about this dangerous gang, and I would tend to agree if you have a gang of guys armed with machine guns and rocket launchers, you probably want to make that a public safety concern. <laughs> now, the reason for this trip is that Lois wants to check on Cora and see if she's okay. She didn't want to bring John along, but she didn't want to leave him home alone either. And for plot convenience, we won't mention our adorable Irishman and his wife that could have watched him, but, you know, plot. <laughs> the building is empty. Leaving John in the reception area, Lois heads to Cora's office and finds a chilling discovery. A knife plunged into the desk, pinning a note with the words, We have her. At the same time, John sees a copy of the Daily Planet, and he decides to open it up and look into the comics. However, the front page headline startles him. New 52 Superman has just been outed as Clark Kent by that universe's Lois Lane. Why? Well, again, I have no idea. Maybe he forgot to pay a date, or maybe he forgot her birthday. Either way, this was not a good move, Miss Lane, and I don't know why you did it, but I disagree. John quickly tears a piece off the paper and tucks it into his pocket when Lois rushes into the room, grabs John, and leaves. Rushing out, they run into a man asking for directions to the Stevenson building. Recognizing his voice, Lois identifies him as Bruno Mannheim, realizing that she has just walked them into his trap and let Mannheim see them. Lois hurries down the street with John in tow. And in our notes for this issue, I really enjoyed it so much. And again, with John, we see just how much his parents are in him. He's following a story. He's asking questions. It truly is in his blood to not let a story go. And I want this kid to grow up to be the next Superman. I want him to be either running the Daily Planet. No, no. I'd want him run it, to still be a reporter because I have a feeling he'd be just like his mom who'd want to be where the action is and rather than Clark who probably would be comfortable being the editor of the Daily Planet. Ooh. Clark, editor of Daily Planet. John, lead investigative reporter. Okay, 
I want this story. I really do. <laughs> Alrighty. Also, we see that Lois is great and still trying to maintain the cover story. Clark came up with this in issue two, and also in issue three, where he said that he had talked to the police, and they decided to keep it quiet. So, I like how she's trying to maintain their cover. It's it's a really smart thing for her. And, and also that she does feel bad about bringing John, but she didn't have a choice. Now, I thought, well, he's eight, he's old enough to handle himself. And then I remembered when I was eight. I was lucky not to have killed myself back then. <laughs> In fact, friends, the first time I tried to bake cookies, whew, my mom still hasn't forgiven me for that. <laughs> also, Cora's company is named Take Flight Publishing. Huh. I wonder if their tagline is, you will believe a story can fly. <laughs> also, John knows something is up. He asks Lois, why, well, why didn't he, she simply just call Cora? Why does she have keys to Cora's office? This is really strange, Mom. And when John sees the Daily Planet headline, well, his eyes just about bug out of his head. And he hides the clipping from Lois when she runs into the office. It's almost as if he didn't want her to see. Hmm. I wonder if that's going to come up later. Probably. <laughs> now, I don't know where the reference about Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote the book Kidnapped and the connection with Bruno Mannheim, came from. But it's nice. And if it was because Lois was a great reader of the classics and realized that, oh, Stevenson means he wrote Kidnapped, Cora's been kidnapped, oh, I get it, then Lois just immediately went to upper-level stratosphere and how smart she is. And then when she realizes her mistake and tries to get away from Mannheim, she's holding John with her right hand, and in her left hand slips into a messenger bag she's carrying, and inside we see her grab a gun, and she's about to pull a Han Solo and shoot first. Now, she hates that she walked into the trap, but she hates even more that she did it with John present. So, with her grabbing a gun, I fully understand why she would shoot him. But fortunately, she was able to get them for, away from Mannheim. And this is, again, this is another example of how great it is to see a twist on the standard Lois in Danger situation. Because it's not just her and Jimmy Olsen. It's not the usual thing that we come to expect. It's her son that's in danger. And she will do anything to protect him. And I love that. And then on the final panel of the scene where we see Bruno Mannheim's face, it's just chilling in the arrogance and satisfaction in that he knows who Author X is now. He knows how to get to her. Because if he can't get to her, he can get to her son. And he will find a way to. And it's just creepy. All right. Now... We're going to hop in a plane and travel half a world away to visit the man in black himself. No, not that man in black. The other man in black, Clark, in the fortress. So, we see Clark break out of the rubble that Blank had dropped on him in the last issue in a glorious one-page splash of awesomeness with one of the coolest sound effects I've actually read in a comic in a while. Scow! I have no idea how to say that, but it just sounds cool. <laughs> you 
Now he tries to use his AI, Kellex. Oh, yes, he named his AI Kellex again. Another post-crisis reference. Oh, I love it so much. To locate Henshaw, but the computer is on the fritz. Suddenly, the floor gives way under Clark, and rocks and pieces of the building begin flinging themselves at Clark as Blank begins his attack and also monologue. You sly dog! You got me monologuing! Reaching the main atrium, Clark finds Blank and Henshaw waiting for him. Still monologuing about what right Clark has for locking him up. Oh, I don't know. Maybe because you're guilty of mass murder and crimes against humanity? And what right Clark had for keeping him from all human contact? Again, you're guilty of mass murder and crimes against humanity. <laughs> it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. Throwing Lois's car at Clark, Clark fires a quick beam of heat vision to ignite it and distract Blank, and his insurance premium just skyrocketed. More fighting ensues with Blank, tossing Clark out of the fortress and into a nearby mountain with an avalanche burying him. With Clark seemingly out of the way, Blank has only one problem left. How to get to California. Meanwhile, by Jupiter's moon Europa, Space Xena finds that a derelict space station had once held the Oblivion Stone, but that a small ship had left the station years ago and had not returned. That ship's destination was Earth. Space Xena vows to tear the ship apart or tear apart the planet until she finds the stone. Now, this was a pretty short conclusion because it's more of a fight scene. Uh, half the book is just simply a fight between Clark and Blank, and Blank throwing rocks and debris at Clark, and Clark just taking him, and not really, not even throwing a punch at him, to be honest. So it, it's a little kind of meh action scene, to be honest. But again, but there are a lot of positives in the in that scene, even though it wasn't, you know, a high action scene in my t tastes. As we see Clark struggle to break free of the rubble, he wonders just why his powers are going wonky. Could it be maybe the atmosphere or the sun being a little different than his home universe? And that would make sense, because it would be slightly different. Maybe not much, but just enough to affect him. But again, rather than just accepting that he's not as strong as he is, that maybe he can't beat him, Clark just says, I'm going to have to work harder. And in that line, we learn everything that everyone should ever know about Superman, and it still amazes me that so many current writers just don't get that. And, oh, also, tangent about, I know I've been ripping into Batman and Batman v Superman, and friends, if you enjoy that, more power to you, please, drop me a line, tell me why you enjoy it, because I don't, but maybe I've not given it its fair due. So, please, let me know. And I don't want to make you feel bad for liking something. I never want to do that. So, I'm not going to rip on Batman v Superman as much. <laughs> there, there will be some criticisms, but I'm not going to throw vitriol at it. Tangent over. Also, we get a B.A. line from Clark when... Uh, Blank starts throwing the rocks and pieces of the fortress at him. Clark goes, rocks and rubble, you'll have to do better than that. Oh, get him, Clark. Punch it. 
which you don't do in this issue, so crap. <laughs> now, here's another little nitpick. I think we get a bit of a downgrade on Blank in this issue. Last issue, he was so menacing, so vile. Oh, you know, you know, friends, you know how I felt about him. But here he's just giving the standard, Oh, why did the hero stop me? Why wouldn't he let me create my art? After all, everyone dies, so why wouldn't they want a memorable death? Oh, woe is me, speech and monologue that any generic supervillain gives. And in my opinion, he loses a little bit of the menace, and he comes off more as a schoolyard bully looking for milk money than, you know, the major threat he was in last issue. Oh, and when he throws Lois's car at Clark, and Clark, you know, blows it up, ooh, Lois is going to be ticked at him because she had left her iPod in the center console, and do you know how hard it is to back up and restore an iPod? Whew. Ooh, she's going to be ticked. Also, we see Blank trying to manipulate Hank into attacking Clark, but we see a slight sign that he's resisting it because we see his hand raised almost like he's going to th use a f another attack, like throw something at Clark like Blank did in the last issue, but we see the hand lower and tremble a little bit. And so I think Hank is going to be a good guy. I hope so, and I like that. I, I like having a good Hank Henshaw because... The last one wasn't the best. And on the bottom of that same page where we see Hank fighting blank, we see Clark lift something really heavy. And the very next page and the very next panels, nothing is done with it as blank hurls him through the mountain and out of the fortress. And it's pretty odd. I mean, we don't see Clark drop whatever he was holding. In fact, we don't even know what it was. It's just gone. One minute he's lifting up this massive rock, I think, and it's just gone. I have no idea why, so that may be a little continuity error. Okay, now, the final shot of Blank's face when he mentions how he gets to, how are we going to get to California, it's back to the creepy standards I've come to associate with this character. It's a close-up, so we only see the left side of his face, shadows and lighting are really great and dynamic and just creepy and I can hear the hatred the venom in his voice saying how will we get to California oh it's a great cliffhanger I really like it I mean you could end a TV show on this it's that good okay back out in space Space Xena is getting just about as tired as I am with the slow progress of her following this Oblivion Stone thing. I know it's a MacGuffin, but it's really getting on my nerves and getting on her nerves just how long it's taking because it's very, very slow. And she knows it's in the soul system. And I'm, I, I'm sorry, but doesn't everyone in the DC Universe know that if there's some sort of super powerful object Somehow it always ends up on Earth. Why don't you just have a big flashing sign that says, Hey, lost this MacGuffin? Go to Earth. Now, I get that Mr. Jurgens is leaving a trail, and she's following it, but in my opinion, this page would have made more sense at the end of Issue 3 instead of here in Issue 4, because Issue 3 was a retread of what she had learned in Issue 2. For that part in Issue 2 ended with her knowing... It was in the soul system, but not exactly which planet. And, you know, even on a galactic level, 
there's a lot of space in our little solar system, so you kind of need to have a little narrow focus. And then when she gets to the space station scene, that location is narrowed to Earth, which makes sense, and it would have progressed the story. And I would have liked to have seen this page in the last issue, and maybe something else of, like, Xena landing on Earth or, you know, doing something on Earth and having the location being narrowed even further, rather than in issue three, just being a retread of issue two. So I don't mean to come down on Mr. Jurgen's writing, but this page, I think, would have fit a little bit better in the previous issue. But again, that's just my opinion, and if you feel free to disagree, please let me know. And again, friends, my goal is to have you check these out. You know, I'm not asking you to. It's just, you know, if something piques your interest, hey, I want to check it out. That, That's, believe me, actually because of that, that's how I have a comic book collection is I listen to other podcasters talk about stuff, and I'm like, hey, I'll check that out. And suddenly I have long boxes. So I will warn you, once you go down a rabbit hole, it gets deep. <laughs> so what are my final thoughts on this issue? Well, to be honest, when I first read it, I felt it was just a filler issue. I didn't really think that there was much progression. The plot didn't really move forward. Half the book was fighting and not really a great fight. And the last page just made me a bit more mad about the, and the last page in issue three. So I was like, I, to be honest, I actually put off doing this episode because I'm like, oh, I really don't want it. It's just, it's a bleh. But then, as I started dissecting it for my notes, I got a lot more out of it. The anniversary scene, it was a really great scene. Lois and Clark are acting as any set of parents on a night out would. They're being romantic to each other. But, you know, if they see something, they'll still think of the kids. And also that Lois may be committing high treason for her husband. Well, friends, if that doesn't scream love, I don't know what does. <laughs> the inquisitive nature of John is on full display again, and this is why I love his character so much. And to be also honest, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to Superman issues 10 and 11, which were solicited, where he and Clark are going to spend some time with Batman and his son Damien, who, if you didn't know, friends, is now Robin. And Damien is the son of Batman and Talia al Ghul. So he was raised actually at, in the League of Assassins. So, so he actually made Bruce Wayne's childhood seem normal. <laughs> and that's disturbing on many, many levels. And also, he's an interesting character because he went from someone who I hated so much to, wow, I care about this kid. And what happened to him, it ripped my heart out. Tangent abound, I hadn't really known much about Damien, but I was reading the Earth New 52 series Earth 2, which dealt with um, the Huntress and Power Girl, who were the Earth 2 variants of Supergirl and Batgirl who were Supergirl was Kara and Batgirl was actually the daughter of Bruce Wayne and Catwoman and they ended up on New 52 Earth and in one issue she meets up with Damien who actually is her half-brother in a way and they have a really nice time together and I, I saw that Damien wasn't the jerk he was in you know the one story I read when he was introduced where yeah in his first appearance he tries to kill Robin he tries to kill Tim Drake. I'm not happy with that. So I, I'm I'm interested in in seeing 
Batman and Damien with Clark and John and the differences both between their parenting styles and the boys themselves. So I'm looking forward to it. I am. And overall, there was a lot more to this issue than I gave it credit for. And I happily admit I was wrong about it. One thing I've enjoyed doing this show is that I have to read the book a few more times to get the synopsis and discussion points done, and it just opens up the story more for me, so I'm glad I decided to do this podcast. It's making me enjoy the comics even more, and making the, you know, two ninety nine I pay go a little further, and I appreciate that. I really do. Well, friends, I thank you all for joining me today. I thank you, Gene, for the iTunes review. I thank all the friends who have left comments. Uh, if you'd like to leave a comment, you can check out tangentsabound.lipson.com. Click the episode link, episode title, and you can leave a comment there. Or you can send me an email at tangentsabound at gmail.com. I would love to have an email because right now I'm about to play the cricket sound. <laughs> so friends, that's it for this issue. That's it for this episode. And I ask you to join me next time as we cover Superman, Lois and Clark, Issue 5, Arrival, Part 5, Blood. Ooh, that sounds ominous. I can't wait to find out more. So I'll see you all next Friday, and wish you all a good morning. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Tangents Abound is a free podcast. No money is made on the production or distribution of this podcast. Any and all audio clips used in this podcast are for education and review purposes only. No copyright infringement is intended, and all copyrights are owned by the respective copyright holders. Thank you.